You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast, from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, SpyCast brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about SpyCast, or if you want to suggest someone who might be a good future guest, email us at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Also, if you like what you hear, and even if you don't, please take a minute to review us on iTunes or whatever platform you might be listening. We're always looking for ways to make SpyCast better, and you can help. We're joined today by Mary Ellen Fuller Van Arthy and Francis Gary Powers, Jr. Mary Ellen is the daughter of James B. Donovan, who was played by Tom Hanks in the Oscar-winning Steven Spielberg film Bridge of Spies. Her first 20 years were unique experiences that gave her a front-row seat to history and behind-the-scenes access to dramatic events. Her home textile design career spanned 35 years, beginning as director of design for a number of prestigious companies. Shortly after winning the industry's prestigious Home Text Award, Springs Company invited her to move their home office in Fort Mill, South Carolina. She's recently joined the board of the South Carolina Humanities and is very engaged and active in her local community. Presently, she's finishing her debut novel and developing a new screenplay. Vin Arthi has worked as a television producer and a university academic. His research and published work on the spy we know as Rudolf Abel has been praised by many across the spy world, from John Le Carre to the press bureau chief of the Russian external intelligence agency, the SVR. Residing in Edinburgh, Scotland, Vin is a biographer and reviews Cold War and espionage books for the national daily, The Scotsman. Vin has been a guest on SpyCast before to discuss the life of Rudolf Abel. You should check it out. Francis Gary Powers Jr. is the founder and chairman emeritus of the Cold War Museum, founded in 1996. Because of his efforts to honor Cold War veterans, the Junior Chamber of Commerce selected him as one of the 10 outstanding young Americans for 2002. He's not so young anymore. That was 2002. Gary is the author of Letters from a Soviet Prison and the upcoming Spy Pilot, which both helped to dispel the misinformation surrounding the U-2 incident. He is a board member of the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum and an honorary board member of our museum here. And of course, he's been on SpyCast a couple times in the past. You should check those out. And recently, he consulted for the Steven Spielberg Cold War thriller, Bridge of Spies. Welcome, all of you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us here at SpyCast. So this is about family. And both Marion and Ellen and Gary, I've read a lot of your writings in the past, and both of you really referred to your fathers, who were not just average, everyday guys. They're really important historical figures. But growing up, they were just dads. So Mary Ellen, like... You, you spent, you know, your youth actually into adulthood, you know, maybe understanding a little bit more than Gary did, who was a little younger when this was going on. But how, when did you first figure out that your father wasn't just some guy? Probably when the movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, um, he was more, uh, no question about it, my father. What was interesting for me is that I associate my childhood with picketing. He was always being picketed. So at least three different times in my life, I had to duck through virulent um, protesters for any number of things that my father was involved with. He was always the king of unpopular causes. So, uh, and he always made us part of it. We would sit in his den and we would listen to what he, his plans were for the ABLE trial. Um, the um, negotiations in Berlin were totally silent. None of us knew about it, but that's kind of another fun story. Mm -hmm. But um, we spend our lives intertwined. He wasn't a politician, but yet Arden would entertain a Kennedy, Shirley Chisholm, uh, you name it, they would come to visit uh, Louis Oberdorfer. Um, uh, it was fascinating. And we would just sit and talk and Dad would say, well, dress up and bring him a glass of sherry. And so we were always a part of things. There's a, a bit of a double-edged sword as a historian when I, when I found out they were casting Tom Hanks as your father in British Spies. He's, of course, one of the most accomplished actors of our generation or of I mean, all time. But he always plays the everyman. Like Tom Hanks is always just kind of the average guy who gets into extraordinary situations and rises to the challenge. Your dad was not the everyman. I think the movie may not portray that as well as it should. He was the general counsel for the OSS. He was a lawyer for the OSRD, the Office of Scientific and Research Development, which one of their programs they ran was the atomic bomb program. And of course, he was part of the Nuremberg trials. Associate yeah. And so this wasn't just some guy. Right, your father was incredibly well established by the time he was tasked to work on this spy trade. Precisely, which is really the reason he was chosen, and I couldn't go into that, but the bottom line is that the OSS was a training ground to understand international laws, um, how they conducted their set of laws, and what their agendas were. Um, this made it a lot easier when he was associate prosecutor at Nuremberg because he was well well versed in understanding what what each country wanted out of it and their agenda. So one thing that um, was portrayed well in Bridge of Spies was that he was looking at everyone's agenda quietly. He never talked about it in the movie, but he had a mandate and he watched everybody around him, whirling around him and telling him what to do and he knew what he had to do and he just barreled on through which was so appropriate. He knew everybody's agenda, he had his, and he just went for it. So, but it was that background of the OSS and Nuremberg that gave him, gave him that um, confidence, confidence. Gary, your, your father's historical event happened before you were born. When did you find out that he wasn't just dad? That to a lot of people, of, your, of the generation of the Cold War, he was something so much bigger than just, you know, your namesake. Well, um, I was always aware that my father had been shot down, imprisoned, and exchanged. I thought it was normal for dads to go through that. That just wasn't the case. And I really it hit home when he died. August 1st, 1977, dies in a helicopter crash. 
that's when everything unfolds and I start to realize that not everybody's dad gets shot down, imprisoned, or exchanged. Uh, by that time, though, once he had passed away, it was too late to answer questions, right. ask questions. Um, and so my memories of my father are just that. He was an average Joe Schmo. He just happened to be very famous because he got caught spying for America over the Soviet Union. He was a pilot. That's what he wanted to do. That's all he ever wanted to do was to fly a plane. So here you have this man from the coal fields of Virginia, the Hollers, uh, who was the first of his family to go to college, the first of his family to go uh, not into the military, but into the Air Force, uh, newly created a few years prior. And uh, he made a, wanted to make a career of it. So he just was a normal guy following the American dream that happened to get caught up in what he was doing. So then let me, let me ask you about Rudolph Abel or William Fisher, because you you know this story better than anyone because you knew his family. You were very well informed at that time. Let, let me set up the question because here in America, or certainly in the West, we look at Soviet spies as kind of being little devil horns and kind of twinkles in their eye. But I, and I think one thing British spies does very well is the casting of Mark Rylance and the way they portray Abel slash Fisher in that movie because he was fairly normal as well. You know, real family was very important to him and he was just another guy he was an incredibly well-respected and professional intelligence officer but he was a family man absolutely and just listening to mary ellen and gary here talking about their fathers the most important and the the the, the best source and resource for my work on on um, willie fisher was his daughter evelyn his only child and uh, i found out about her found her and got talking to her and one of the things that she enjoyed most of all about my research was the ability to speak English. English had been the language of their home and it was a, it was a haven for him to speak English. He was a Soviet spy, uh, a member of the most elite Soviet KGB unit, the illegals. He needed a haven and he found that at home in, 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 in speaking English. And. Um, Evelyn uh, adored her father. He adored, she referred to him always as daddy, uh, daddy this, daddy that. Um, and she knew what her role was. She told me uh, when she was in her 30s, uh, her daddy could get copies of books in English from the West. And they got a copy of John le Carre's Bridge of uh, um, uh, Spy Who Came In From The Cold. And she said, I read it. And I said to, to my dad, daddy, was it like this? And she said he put his. He looked at me, and that that look was, you know, you must not ask questions like that. <laughs> she said, but the look was also, yes, it it was like that. Uh, and I said, to her, what do you mean like that? You mean it was sad? She said, oh no, not that. Uh, the bosses were just so cynical. But lots of stuff about family from Evelyn, and my most important source, no doubt about that. Well, and you yourself have been really heavily involved, or at least mentally involved in the, the Fisher case since you were a little kid. Well, that's in, and again, listening to, to both Mary Ellen and Gary, um, I was 12 years old when the television came into our house. So 12 years old, not a child, not an adult. Um, and uh, in the UK at that time, there was one channel, the BBC. As a 12-year-old, I was not going to watch kids' programs. As a 12-year-old, my parents made me go to bed at a certain time. So the only programs I could really watch were the early evening news programs and, and um, newsreel programs. And there in uh, 1957 was this Soviet spy who'd been arrested in New York, the guy with the black uh, hat with the white band. 
And then when I was a teenager, he got swapped. And then when I was working in television in the northeast of England in the mid-90s, a, a university professor there proved that uh, Abel's, Abel's real name was William Fisher. He born in Newcastle. And I suddenly thought, this story's meant for me. I've got to research it. And you know what's interesting about what you're saying, Vin, is that um, the movie, you have two hours. And they had everything super... Right. <laughs> So anybody looking at this thinks, wow, they had a busy month. <laughs> and I listened to you and I realized this started when I was seven and a half years old. And, and then the exchange happened when I was 13 or 14. But you would never, ever sense that when you're watching a movie. So there right. is that, that uh, span of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think setting, it's difficult to, as, let me step in as the historian here, is that 57 you brought up was a monumental year in Cold War history. This is the year of Sputnik, which the anniversary is today, I believe, of the launch of Sputnik in 1957. So, you know, when, when Abel slash Fisher was arrested, this is when the Cold War hysteria was at, at its very height. And then when your dad was shot down, 1960, uh, was, you tense, know, tense. tense. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a year and a half in change for the Cuban Missile Crisis. This is when you have these these summit meetings where Khrushchev and Kennedy are essentially yelling at each other. This is a moment in which, you know, the world, people didn't necessarily know if there was going to be a 1963 and a 1964. Well, what was interesting is that uh, Khrushchev's embarrassed, you know, uh, um, you know, because he knew something they didn't know. And Eisenhower was saying, look at that, we have no spies. We, we have no spies, right. so uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, oh God! <laughs> well, so the weather plane the weather fiasco, plane, yes. The weather plane. So, uh, in in being again an impartial historian, looking at both Fisher and your father, there's a lot of similarities between these two. They're they're both patriots. They're both intelligence professionals, right? They're certainly at the height of their profession. You you kind of. Gary, you said, "Oh, my dad just wanted to be a pilot. He wasn't no. Your dad was a spectacular <laughs> pilot. You don't get picked for the YouTube uh, yes. program unless you are the cream of the crop." And then, as you mentioned, Ben, Abel was an illegal, right? He is the top of the line of the. So, and then the stoic under pressure, I think, is something that is not taught to people. So people even have it or they don't. And I kind of saw a lot of similarities between, you know, what your dad was stood inside prison in Russia, and what. What Fisher, when he was arrested, and the kind of pressure the FBI put on him, and just kind of that stoic nature, do you kind of see them as kind of somewhat kindred spirits? You know, they're on opposite ends of the universe, and of course they're traded for each other, so it brings them together historically. But are they similar in kind of the way they they kind of approach the world? I think that's a that's a difficult one. Um, uh, Gary uh, Senior uh, Francis Gary really wanted to be an airman. Uh, Willie Fisher didn't want to be a spy. He, he wanted to be an artist, right? He yeah. wanted to be an artist, yeah. and uh, it was marriage. Um, you know, he was uh, he, he was born in England. His his mother um, her, his mother's language was Russian. His father's first language was German. His native language was English. He went to school where he learned French and Latin. When the family went to the, the newly formed Soviet Union in in uh, 1921, he was an ideal candidate for the new Soviet Foreign Intelligence Service. But also, uh, he was about to get married. What do you do when you get married? Um, you keep your wife in the manner to which she's become accustomed. You get a job. And they said, well, why don't you join the intelligence service? <laughs> so he joined. And a, a, a good spy 
does his or her job. And every job he was given, he did to the best of his ability. And things happened, luck, good luck, bad luck, and he just ploughed that line, he did his job. And you see that in the Spielberg film. Mm -hmm. you know, he's captured, he's a failure. But boy, he, uh, but it turned out that um, he was a fantastic success because he was so honourable, he conducted himself so well. The KGB denied, the Soviets denied that he was theirs, but when he got back, he'd conducted himself so well, he became a national hero. Right. And th that's interesting, you touch on a point here about um, how these two individuals are, are the best of the best. My dad wanted to be a pilot. Rudolph Abel did not want to be a spy. But in their roles as professionals, they were highly trained, they were dedicated, they were patriots to their own countries, they were doing a mission that they thought valuable for the safety of their homeland. Um, but I think that's about where it ends. Because the ideologies that they brought up sure. with are completely different. But the patriotism was there. No, no, yeah, right. the patriotism was definitely can, can, there. Can I jump in here? Yeah, of because, course. Because um, Fisher was British. He was, he was a United Kingdom citizen. When he was arrested in the United States, the family was absolutely terrified because if he'd brought, been brought back to the United Kingdom, treason, because he'd committed treason, was still a capital offence. He would have automatically faced the death sentence. wasn't quite the case in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do know from his daughter, he referred to Kim Philby as the traitor. <coughs> so it, for, for Willie, it was complex. He was certainly a Marxist. He was, communist ideology was there right along the line. Um, but whether, uh, what was his native country? Right. Who was he betraying? It's a difficult one. Yeah. When my father wrote the book Stranger, uh, Strangers on a Bridge, he had, when he was writing it, he did not have a name. And it was the summer of 64, and one late one night he turned to me and he said, I, I'm finished, but I don't have a name. What do you think? And I, I was just turning... 13, 14 at that point, and all that stayed with me as a child was the concept that you have two men who don't know each other, never heard of each other, and I said, Dad, just the concept that these two men who don't know, of, don't even know of each other, no less know each other, are at the opposite ends of a bridge, and they're going to pass each other and still be strangers. And I think it'd be cool to call it Strangers on a Bridge. Um, and he said, done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that had to be an extraordinary moment where kind of they probably locked eyes for a couple seconds and then just kind of kept yeah. on walking. But that, you know, they always will be linked together in history. I, I'm wondering, Mary Ellen, do you know anything about your father's relationship with Gary's grandparents, the parents of Francis Gary Powers? Because Oliver and... Ida, they they went to Russia. They pro they did a lot of trying to get Khrushchev to let them go, and obviously they were heavily involved before Donovan well, got involved. Well, I I can say this, and Gary can jump in. Um, my dad had a soft spot for Gary's parent grandparents. I, and what happened is that he was sitting in his office in William Street in Manhattan, and and he. Uh, your grandfather called and said, you know, I, I can't, I was told to call you because I honestly can't get through to anybody at the CIA or anywhere. They won't, it's a stone wall. They've got their secrets. They're in the course of whatever, but I, I just want my boy home. I just want my boy. And I was wondering if you could keep, 
keep me in the loop on this, and it touched my father so. Mm -hmm. And I think it actually strengthened his resolve to not have people with other kinds of agendas bothering him. Right. He he just knew he was going to get this man out, and and in his mind was was your family because they had gone to dad and said, please keep reach out to me, tell me what's going to happen, and they did when dad returned on that plane back to Washington where he was being debriefed he did call your family and say you know um, all is well so on that point it was great and I do know that when dad uh, he would visit Abel in um, in the prison cell actually what's really funny is at Christmas time he brought my brother and um, and they practiced, and my brother sang Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer to him <laughs> in the prison during Christmas time. That song may never have been more appropriate <laughs> at that point. Um, yeah. But he respected, where, where Abel was concerned, he respected the fact that he was a patriot, and, and he was very, very intelligent. And so uh, that always appealed to my father that uh, what, even with the Bay of Pigs, with with Castro, right. to to work with somebody intelligent really pleased him to no yeah. end, and Abel was very intelligent. So uh, there was a, a bit of a, a bond from that standpoint. They could meet, they could meet on the same level, right. and that pleased him. Um, it, but of course, he did get that crazy fake letter um, from uh, from his wife, quote unquote. So. And one of the things that you touched upon is uh, the relationship between your dad and my grandfather. Um, and I didn't know the extent of how much they interacted. I knew that they talked. And during my research for my first book, I found a letter from my grandfather to my dad in prison, referencing what I thought would be Donovan, but it was blacked out. I want to read this letter so you can hear it, and then we can chat about a little bit about this, this uh, uh, interaction. So it's a dated, I want to say June of 61, uh, his uh, um, uh, dad, Oliver Powers, writes to his son uh, in prison. Dear son, in answer to your 16th letter, mom told you she had just been home from her third trip to the hospital. She is much better now. She has a much better breathing this time than the other times. We don't know how long she has till she goes back with another spell. We hope not for a long time. I could not find out what was discussed at the Khrushchev-Kennedy meeting in June, but I did have a call from blank a lawyer in New York. He is in touch with Blank in East Germany, and Blank is working for a release from that end and Blank this end. Just how much could do it could do is yet to be seen. I want you to take care of your health and yourself above all things. I was told that I would receive a letter from East Germany. I have not yet received it. I blocked out a few of these names I didn't want to mention in this letter well, later on. We'll have all the hay up first cutting, three acres of corn, two ac uh, three acres of rye. This fall had eight heads of cattle to bring calves in uh, November or December. We'll close for now, uh, are still doing our best to help you, and we'll continue. So here, my grandfather has censored his own letter. Yeah, he redacted it himself. Yep. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, when I see this letter, I'm holding it up to the light, I'm trying to look <laughs> at the names. And sure enough, my dad's reply, basically a month later to his father, you didn't do a good job of marking out those names. <laughs> I could read one or two of them. So here I am doing the same thing that my dad did when he got this letter, and I never realized until that moment that my father had any indication he was going to be exchanged for Rudolph Abel, that he was being talked with, uh, his father was talking to Donovan about the exchange. So up until that point, I just thought dad never knew. 
But in June of 61, that's when I realized he started to have an inclination he could be exchanged. And as I say, my father was so touched by your grandfather. And the interesting thing is after the exchange, and we were home, everybody's in their homes, we, your father learned more about my father, because all they had was a very distant plane ride. From, they, they didn't talk on the plane coming home. So, so when we were at home and um, the doorbell rang, your father sent the biggest ham in the whole world. We were so thrilled with it. We had it for a week. And that was his thank you. Yeah, um, no, yep. it, he, he sent a Virginia ham. He did. And I've heard that story from, a, from when I was young. And that was a way to him for him to thank uh, the, the Mr. Donovan for all the hard work he did to get him exchanged. And he was very happy to be out of that prison. Uh, he did not want to go back into the cell on the bridge. He had already made up his mind he was going to jump into the river if things went south. So he was determined to get back home, and he really, really appreciated everything that your dad, Donovan, did to get his re release. Well, as they say in the Talmud, you save one life and you save the world. We'll be right back after this. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. The relationships are interesting because we were talking about the relationship between Oliver Powers and the later Gary Powers and James Donovan. But one thing the movie does, I think people are out there going like, whoa, the really interesting relationship is between Fisher slash Obel and Donovan. Kind of this lawyer-client, obviously as an OSS counsel and a, a true patriotic American, his client is a Soviet spy. And you wouldn't necessarily think there would be this kind of close, tight-knit relationship. So Vin, from the Obel perspective, what was the family's feeling towards James Donovan? What was the, the relationship that you saw from, from that side? And I want you to tell me about the check, because I think the check is an interesting component of all this also. Well, this is, there's a lot of complexity here because we've got balancing of, of family, two different governments, espionage, uh, individual uh, professionals. Um, all of this is, this is going on. Now, um, the actual facts of this, clearly the letters from Mrs. Arbel, based in Germany, to the United States, to the Powers family, to the officials, and so on and so forth, uh, were written by the KGB. Okay, so so that that's what was going on. Sorry. Uh, similarly, uh, the KGB, as we see from from Gary's work about his father, were concerned that uh, Gary might have been coding his letters home, and all of that is going on. But clearly, on the well, other I mean, sorry, let me, when you're reading off about the the head of cattle and what mm -hmm. and all that. That that's a I go. What, what does that code mean? And it was just about the farm. I mean, that's the way my mind works. I'm like, all right, is this a book code for like that's something? Yeah. Hey, sorry, go ahead. So um, uh, that was good. But the actual ex uh, 
the, the thing I like least about the wonderful um, uh, film, uh, uh, Spielberg film, was uh, the central casting characters of, of Fisher, Abel's wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely wrong, because his wife and his daughter came from Moscow to Potsdam and, and were there. So the people that were seen were the real wife and, and daughter. Um, and they were involved in those last minute negotiations. And there's an interesting story told that uh, uh, Evelyn told me. Um, on the day of the morning of the exchange, um, and uh, Fisher went uh, across the, the bridge uh, into a car into um, the KGB HQ for, for, for Europe, uh, Potsdam, which the locals called the Forbidden City. And the KGB staff were running around like mad things. Um, uh, Evelyn and Ellie Fisher had disappeared. They couldn't find them. They'd gone shopping. <laughs> now, even in East Germany, the shops in East Germany were better than the shops in Moscow. What to it? They went shopping. So they had to go. So uh, the family was reunited, actually, in, in, in Potsdam after the exchange. That had been a little disconcerting for, for a poor old Willie, getting like, I'm free. Where's, where's the wife and kid? Uh, they're at the mall. So let's talk about this check, because I think this kind of oh, fits yes. into this. It's a well, really interesting relationship. Well, again, it's to do with the, the period of time and, yeah. and going back and continually going back. You're looking at, I mean, in United States history, um, it begins during Eisenhower's presidency, it ends during Kennedy's presidency. Uh, that, that, and, 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 and Jim Donovan's working with both sets of, um, uh, of administrations to, to make all of that happen. Uh, but the other thing that goes on, and it makes looking back now at that period of history, and I think, what giants these people were, what honorable men these people were. Um, and so, for example, um, clearly, someone has to pay Waters and Donovan for the legal fees. So a sum of money is paid, but it's overpaid by a couple of hundred dollars. What do Waters and Donovan do? They send the money back. <laughs> so uh, so uh, and it, goes, um, it goes to Vogel, uh, but it's a check in, uh, what do we do? So it has to go to the US mission in East Germany. And uh, a diplomat there, Frank Meehan, who I'm in touch with now, who's in his 90s, had to endorse the check so, so that the money could go to, to Vogel. Now, a couple of hundred dollars, can you imagine that sort of thing happening now in, in well, international you'd, you'd affairs? Probably be a little hesitant to, <laughs> to allow that to happen, yeah. That's something you touch upon a couple times here, is how honorable these men were, right, yes. despite what countries they were working for. Yes. Um, Willie Fisher was respected by Donovan and vice versa. Yeah. And I have heard stories from uh, contacts in Russia that the KGB guards who interrogated my father respected him for the way he conducted himself. So he was professional, even under great duress, to the point of being mutually respected by his adversary. And it seems that there's a common tie with this all around. Uh, and, and two, the, the, the FBI agents who, who interrogated uh, Fisher, the man they knew as, as, as Abel, they said, we tried to break him, but we couldn't. You had to admire the guy. So right. it's interesting. <laughs> all three men were of a certain fortitude right. and status and a sense of loyalty to their own country, mm-hmm. all three men. And that's really remarkable. I'm glad Mr. Spielberg could see that, that this is something to, that this is something to use as the basis is that all three men, not one of them was considered a shyster. Well, it would have been really easy to portray Abel in that movie as kind of the squinty bad guy Soviet, you know, but it was was clear that 
there was someone here who you didn't disagree. You may not agree with his politics. You may not agree with his views on ec economics, uh, what side he was fighting for. But at the same time, you look at and say, you know what? This guy's as honorable as both Jim Donovan and Gary well, Powers. You yeah. know what's interesting is that uh, Steven Spielberg did not know this, and he was fascinated to learn that when my father's book, Strangers on a Bridge, came out, MGM had the rights, <laughs> and Gregory Peck was to play my father, and um, Alec Guinness was going to play Abel. And Stephen was like, oh my gosh, how interesting. I had no idea. But it tells you the magnitude of how they viewed it as well to have such fabulous um, people. It was really kind of cute. I, I was in London with my father and spent a lot of time with Gregory Peck. And, and it was great to hear him say, he was actually campaigning for the, <laughs> he said to my father, I, I got an Academy Award for a fictitious lawyer. I know I can do this. I just know <laughs> I can do it. I thought that was adorable. <laughs> Let me let me let me continue with you, Mary Ellen, because the um, actually I'm going to get back to you because I'm going to work my way up to this question by actually talking in your direction, Gary, right. because your your father outlived, although he died much earlier than he should have. He outlived both Abel and James Donovan, mainly because much younger than the other two. Uh, and you were you're still relatively young, obviously, when your father died. But I'm wondering if you heard from your mom or you heard from anyone else. When I believe James Donovan both died about a year, Abel and James Donovan at like seventy and seventy one, I believe, was a ballpark. When did well, when well did my father died in January of nineteen seventy. Okay. And Abel was seventy seven. No, seventy one. No, seventy seven. Yeah, so seventy seven is power. So I think it's about a year apart, yes. which is really interesting. Yes. I wonder how, if your father, how the reaction was to like the two people most closely intertwined in his life. Uh, I, I don't know how he reacted when uh, James Donovan passed away. I've never heard stories about that. But I have heard a story from mom when she was living about when Abel passed away. And basically, uh, they had some friends over, uh, they had a little get-together, had some beef eaters, uh, and toasted uh, that um, uh, the Soviet agent had passed. Uh, no disrespect to him, but just uh, letting, you know, I outlived him basically was the toast. Well, let me go, Marielle, because you you were probably old enough to remember when Francis Gary Powers Sr. died. Uh, was that a kind of a, a, a momentous moment in your, like kind of the end of an era since he kind of, but it was the last one of this, this story to pass away? Well, all I can do is say that it was a tragedy that was also poignant to mm. us. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I can use those two words together, but it was so personally poignant um, about the loss. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it was a true tragedy. I mean, it, it was just, but he was doing what he loved to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it just bespoke how none of us have control over where, where history, right. history is going to take you. Um, and so, and so, yes, it hit home to us a great deal that that he was a, a player in our tragedy, on right. stage tragedy, if I can phrase it that way. If you had a play, he was one of the players. Right. All three of us had a player in the play, and to lose lose one of the actors is never a good scene. Was know? it really end of the era, right? Because 70 and 71, Fisher and your father passed away. And really, with your father's death in 77, 
this moment in history, this moment on the bridge, like had that era had ended. Well, and also, in, um, my father uh, took me to Russia, and the plan was to uh, for him to spend time with Abel. And um, it was 1965, the height of everything. Mm -hmm. So no Americans were walking around. I mean, nobody was there. So it was very dramatic time to be in Russia. And I had my 16th birthday. I, had, I think I had the only chocolate cake available. I don't know what my father had to do to get that chocolate cake. But it was a, a shocking time to see Moscow. Uh, if I might digress, um, I, you're 16, you're coming out of um, America and everything is sunny and happiness and Beatles and Carnaby Street. Yeah. And now I'm in this incredibly intensely gray place. And about a week went by and I said, Dad, um, why are there so many amputees? Why, why is everybody missing limbs? I mean, on every corner, everywhere I looked and it was shocking. And he said, Mary Ellen, I brought you here for so many reasons, but one is history. Um, they, they just have been out of the war 20 years, yeah, just 20 years, and they can't afford your prosthetics. And so, you know, it was part history, part, you know, it was right. quite a learning experience. But on the other hand, to get back to spying, he was really pretty funny. Um, he said, we would play gin rummy, because he was waiting for phone calls. Lots of gin rummy. I was always Schneidering him. And he said, just be very careful what we discuss here because uh, there are yeah. bugs in the room. Everywhere. And everywhere. <laughs> and when you're 16, I said, okay. You know, I mean, it just seemed perfectly normal to me. <laughs> I didn't need to. Well, just talking about the, the, the three deaths, yeah. um, it's my, my reaction um, was di different, and obviously, because not related. Um, your father's death is the one that I remember because it was out on the, on the BBC News and my feeling was similar uh, tragic and poignant uh, 47 doing what he loved, yes but um, you know, an accident uh, an air accident I didn't know about uh, your father's death until I started researching, you know, sort of 20 or 30 20 years after it happened so I look at that death and Fish's death which again I didn't know until 20 odd years after it happened I look at those as, as pieces of history. Right. But uh, also thinking now and being in the presence, uh, the two fathers here died before their time. Fisher lived till his late, eight, late 60s. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I, you know, I, it's tragic and poignant. In our conversations with, with Evelyn, did, did the end of this era come up? Did the deaths of either? No, no. Uh, when I say... Um, that our, our relationship was very interesting. Um, when she died uh, 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 five years ago, Evelyn died. When Evelyn died a few years ago, um, uh, my main interpreters, translators in in Russia or in Russian, uh, one based in the UK and two based in Moscow, um, were women. And one of them um, phoned me up to say, "Vin, I've got some news for you. Um, Evelyn has died." And I carried on the conversation, and she said. Um, uh, no, I'm going to ring off now. You need to sit down and be quiet. And uh, all three of the women said she will have valued she will have valued your friendship. Um, and I think that you know that's a feminine perspective. Uh, on it. But the other thing I should say is she was looked after by the KGB. Mm. 
And one of the things she said was, I can tell you nothing of Daddy's work. We only talked about the interesting things at home, food, art, <laughs> cooking. Did um, she call him Daddy? Yes. That's kind of cute. Yes. I, I tried know, to yeah. meet her in 97. Yeah. Uh, not 97, 1990, when I went over to the Soviet Union. Uh, I went over there at the uh, invitation of a uh, Soviet news broadcaster that was on loan to NBC Television, where my father had worked a few years prior. And I thought it was arranged for me to meet and talk with her. At the very last moment, it was canceled, or she couldn't make it, or something happened where it, it did not happen. But I, I did try to reach out. We tried to establish contact. I would have loved to have been able to sit down and talk with her one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one, uh, and I'm glad I've been able to understand a little bit about Abel through her, through you. Yeah, yeah. What, is the KGB pushing today, well, obviously not the KGB, the SVR, the FSB, GRU, Soviet, now Russian intelligence, is the Willie Fisher case study, the rough Abel case study, still taught, is the legacy of Abel being passed down to a next generation? I, I don't know that quest, uh, the answer to that question, but something interesting has happened. Uh, I met a Russian scholar um, in the UK last year. And she asked me to write a 4,000-word um, paper for an academic journal in, in Russia. And uh, but essentially, it was uh, the, the, the theme of the journal was celebrity. And she wanted me to write this paper on Abel Fisher as celebrity. And it's quite interesting because uh, he was a villain, but he became a celebrity. Uh, it, he had notoriety mm -hmm. in, in the United States. When he got back to the Soviet Union, he was, although he was a failure, a failed spy, he was a celebrity and touted round schools and Komsomol groups and, 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 and so on. And they showed his yeah. artwork in, it, in some of the public buildings. That's absolutely right. But what's interesting in putting the article together, um, this is so many, and I referred to the pre-Soviet, the Soviet, and the post-Soviet periods in, in Russian history. Right. And they found that really helpful. Um, because the, the people who went as school kids to hear Abel as they knew him, or Abel as they knew him, speak in their schools, are now in their 60s and 70s. So it's a period, uh, it's a period of history. And one of the things I want to touch back around that I think we were touched on here is in regards to um, Abel's conduct uh, in prison against his FBI interrogators, my father's conduct in prison uh, towards his uh, KGB interrogators. Um, you had mentioned that Abel returned home a hero of the Soviet Union, and he was provided for and, and accoladed and celebrity and, and gave speeches and talks to school kids. When my dad came home, he was ostracized. Uh, a lot of bad press in the American uh, newspapers appeared about how he had defected, landed the plane, spilled his guts, collaborated with the enemy, none of which were true. So I find this interesting to see how the difference, um, uh, difference happened when Abel returned home, a hero of the Soviet Union, but my father returned home to controversy. Can, 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 I, can I butt in oh, here? Yeah, that, that, that's not the full truth. Oh, good. Uh, Let's, uh, yeah. uh, because um, he was never, uh, Fisher was never, ever trusted again mm. because they could not know right. if he'd given anything away. Or if he'd been flipped. If, if he'd been back, flipped. Yeah. And, and also, you know, check, 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 check. That's what espionage is. That's mm. what spies do. Um, uh, so that was, and uh, I know this. I've got this on good authority. Oleg Gordievsky um, was one of his jobs was to look after Fisher in the Lubyanka, and he said Fisher did not have a desk; he had a chair 
but he did not have a desk. He was consulted if something came up on American politics or something to do with the United States. They consulted him, but he was a busted flush. Right. Uh, and he went out and did the school tours and so on and so forth. Mm. And uh, there's another story told. Uh, he was walking past the Lubyanka and met an old comrade from the Red Army days. And, you know, hi, Willie. Hi, Ernst. Uh, how you doing? Uh, he said, where are, you, where are you working? I work in there. What do you do? I'm a museum exhibit. Go ahead, please. Oh, um, you mentioned that. Uh, I always thought that Abel returned home a hero and that he was awarded the Red Star. He got that before. Oh, before, before. he returned home. Didn't realize that. Um, but I also know that he was buried in a very uh, respected cemetery uh, that's set aside for the heroes of the Soviet Union, I thought. Can I answer this one? Oh, um, yeah, of course. I, I hope people are going to buy my book uh, because it's <laughs> lots of detail in there. But um, the key thing Tell is... Tell them the name of the book. Uh, Abel, the true yeah. story. <laughs> uh, the Soviet Union wanted to bury him in the, the special cemetery in Moscow the Novodevichy Cemetery, but he would have been buried under the name Rudolf Abel, and his wife put her foot down, and she said, I will not have my husband buried, uh, he will be buried under his own name, not someone else's name, and so they wouldn't let him be buried in the Novodevichy, he was buried in the Donskoy Cemetery, where a number of other KGB mm. veterans are, are, are buried, and it was, it was uh, only then, I think a year after his burial, that they put his own name on, on the gravestone. Well, there's another tie-in here uh, with uh, the tenacity, I guess I would say, yes. with uh, Mrs. Abel, uh, wanting to make sure that her husband was buried with his name. My mother wanted to make sure that Dad was buried at Arlington, and she would have no other, uh, 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 nothing else would do. And when Greg Anderson, a very dear family friend, was helping navigate the CIA, the State Department, the White House, Arlington, trying to figure out where right. Dad was going to be buried, he come up to mom and go, now Sue, if it didn't, if, if Arlington's not possible, she just walk away. That's where he's going to be. That's all I will accept. And she was just determined to make sure that she was he was buried at Arlington Cemetery. So interesting to help. Yeah, correlations. absolutely. That's fascinating. And you're both learning it from each other mm -hmm. tonight. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's why we do this. Let me let me wrap this up uh, by focusing on. This story, and the reason I asked you about the legacy is I want to hit that up with, with both Powers and Donovan in this case. There's now a Francis Gary Powers III. There are certainly multiple generations now of James Donovan's grandkids and further on. The movie, I assume, reinvigorated interest in this story, but how important was it going to be, movie or not, that you were able to pass this legacy down to the next generations of this family? I mean, it seems like, as I've seen pictures of you with your son, Gary, long before Bridge of Spies came out, and obviously uh, your family going down multiple generations has understood this better than just about anybody. For me, um, I was in shock over the movie, and it brought, out, it brought out some underpinnings of severe sadness. Uh, for me, no one really knew much about my father. Mm -hmm. Um, the screenwriter, Matt Sharman, you know, he said, well, you know, I kept, I thought, yeah, I'm working on this screenplay, but every book I read, I'd see in the footnotes, James B. Donovan, and finally he thought to himself, who is this man? Okay, who is this guy? Steven Spielberg said to me, Mary Ellen, I knew everything about this experience and this event, everything. 
I never heard of your father. He said, the real reason I went ahead and made this movie is that, who is this man? This man, and he said, I call it my character thriller. And to answer your question, it's, it's been a shocking new, whole new life for us mm -hmm. because he was just this quiet attorney who knew, I never talked about it at school, nobody knew anything about it. And all of a sudden now, um, his entire career, which is expands beyond this one event, um, he's out of the footnotes. He's out of the footnotes. Yeah. Let me bring in my experience because I grew up in Miami and I'd heard of your father, but nothing to do with this. I'd heard of him because he negotiated the release of the Brigade 2506 members. Right. And it was, and at least I had heard of him, but even not in respect to this trade, and certainly not as general counsel of the OSS or the Nuremberg trials or anything else. And so the only reason I knew is because literally where I had grown up and been understanding the Bay of Pigs stuff. And so I like, I do this as a career, and I hadn't really been all that familiar with James Donovan so and his he, role. he was a, a hidden asset yeah. that no one was aware of. So talk about bursting onto the scene. Right. Um, because he was president of the Board of Education of New York City during integration and busing. He had his first heart attack during then. He was at OSS, you, you name it, no OSS, Nuremberg, Russian spies, Board of Education, made the Bay of Pigs exchange, wrote books, Strangers mm -hmm. on a Bridge, thank you, Gary, and, and also he's president of Pratt Institute exactly when we had national uprisings throughout the country uh, by students. He got locked on elevators. We were always being picketed. Mm. And he died, he did all of that and died at 53 years yeah. old. Mm. That's a lot to accomplish on many different stages, world stages right. that 53? It, it, so I'm really excited and I bow and I scrape to Matt Sharman and Steven Spielberg for, and, and Mark Platt for the producer. I bow and scrape with such, um, oh, we're thrilled. Right. <laughs> Need I say more? No, absolutely, it's clear it's coming out. Uh, with, with the legacy question yeah. that we started on, um, I thought long and hard about whether I wanted to name my son Francis Gary Powers III. And my mother, when I was, I don't know, 15, 18 years old or so, uh, she said that basically uh, she would write me out of the will if I didn't. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> and so I talked to my dear family friend, Greg Anderson, who sponsored me over to the first trip to the Soviet Union in 90. And uh, probably on that trip, now that I think of it, Greg, mom wants me to name my son Gary Powers III. I don't know if I should do that or not. What, what do you think? And he looked at me and he said, Gary, if you're naming your son after your father, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. I went, oh. And then he continued, if you're naming him after yourself for your own accomplishments, you're probably doing it for the right reasons. So by the time that I had my son in 2002, I had founded the Cold War Museum. I was the president of the Vienna Tyson's Area Chamber of Commerce. I was well respected in my industry. I had accomplished my own uh, well-being. And so I felt very comfortable in passing on the name to my son. But right away, we called him Trey. That way, he's known as Trey Powers. He's got his own identity. He doesn't have to say, oh, Gary Powers, any relations to? He is Trey Powers. He well, that's be... the case with you, too, right? Your father wasn't Gary. No, my, Frank, dad, my, right? my dad was Frank. Yeah. Well, it depends on what era of his life. Yeah. Francis, his family called him. They still call him Francis. Uh, friends in the military, Frank. 
Francis just yeah. would not do. Yeah. Frank, it was. Uh, friends, his first wife in the press, Gary. Yeah. So he's known by multiple different names and sometimes Francis Gary Powers. Right. Um, I was always known as Gary. Dad was known as Frank. It was separated at the house. Right. Um, my dad was concerned that I would be teased as a kid growing up if I was named Francis. I wasn't teased about Francis. What, what uh, I, happened to me is that people said, oh, Gary Powers, they recognized the name, and that put an undue burden on me as a young kid trying right. to figure out, well, why do they know dad? Why do they want to talk to me? Why do they want to ask me questions? So that's what I went through and I finally adjusted to it in my youth. Right. Well, I mean, now, I mean, let me ask you again about your son. Um, when you were growing up, there was still some unrequited kind of controversy about whether or not hero versus, you know, someone. Now that's all been solved, right? Distinguished Flying Cross, Silver Star. There's very few historical accounts of your father that aren't completely, this guy's a hero. <laughs> well, Is well, there I, a, I have you know, to interrupt you right yeah. there. Just last year, and I've forgotten the gentleman's name, but a very well-respected, admired, uh, um, uh, uh, like not the head of Time magazine, but equivalent, someone in the uh, journalism industry that was so well-respected, writes a book review of Brotherhood of Spies. And in this book review, in the Wall Street Journal, he says, blah, 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 Powers, no, no, Able, unlike Powers, didn't blab. Uh -huh. And I'm thinking to myself, here this guy is, who is an outstanding journalist, well-respected in this field, who's regurgitating the misinformation of the time. I write an uh, op-ed piece, I put a letter to the editor, I correct the misinformation that this person uh, had put out. But even to this day, that continues to happen, right. because people read what's on the internet from 1960-62. They may not find that in 98, the classification conference helped to set the record straight. They may not find that Dad was a posthumously awarded in 2000, the POW Medal and the Distinguished Flying Cross. And they may not find that in June of 2012, Dad was awarded the Silver Star. And all the misinformation has been put to rest. And if you dig deep enough, you'll find the truth. But again, the misinformation right. is so prevalent, that's what people they see don't, first. They don't necessarily find Kelly Johnson who did the act for action review and said, yeah, this, this guy's telling the truth. Yep. This is exactly yep. what happened. Well, Mary Ellen, Vin, Gary, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us here at SpyCast. We'll have to have you back again because there's probably another two hours we can have well, a conversation about do, this. Please do because I think the three of us learned learned things yeah, ourselves. Yes. Well, that's a lot of fun yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. We're, saying, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all sitting there saying, "Really? Oh, well, that's great." Well, so thank you. Well, thank you thank guys. You. The International Spy Museum is a full 501c3 nonprofit institution to help support future educational programming. Please visit spymuseum.org and click on our Donate Now link at the top of the page.